Hey everyone, thanks for joining us for our online worship gathering. I'm Pastor Andrew, our West Milford campus pastor here at the Plant Church. It's great to have you with us today. We have finally made it. We're on the last week of our summer series, Can't Go Back. It's been a 10-week journey through the scriptures as we've been looking at stories of people who were called by God to a moment where they said, I can't go back to my old way of life. And we've been talking about growing in our sanctification as we become more like Jesus through this process and, and have these moments where we choose to never go back. And so we're gonna look at one last story in the scriptures today around this, and it's in Acts chapter 10. We're moving into the New Testament today, and we're gonna look at a story uh, of Peter. So get your Bibles, uh, notepads, whatever you need for that, and we're gonna jump into reading the passage in just a minute. But first, I wanna tell you a story from World War II. Uh, towards the end of World War II, Allied troops moved across Europe, and they were starting to move pretty quickly across Europe, and they ran into some obstacles. Um, they had to ford a lot of rivers and, and streams and things like that with a lot of heavy machinery and tanks and artillery, and they were also met with the constant destruction of bridges by German forces to try and slow the advance of the Allied troops. And it really hampered their efforts to advance uh, until they had one powerful invention given to them, and it was the Bailey Bridge. Now, uh, the Bailey Bridge was a unique uh, kind of bridge that was prefabricated and troops could set it up within 24 hours. And it was a massive turning point, believe it or not, in the war. And one British officer wrote this. He said, Bailey Bridging made an immense contribution towards ending World War II. I could never have maintained the speed and tempo of the forward movement without large supplies of Bailey Bridging. Without the Bailey Bridge, we should not have won the war. Now, given the glowing report, uh, you'd think the War Department had been sitting on this top-secret bridge technology for years and were just ready to em employ it when the time came, but it went largely unnoticed, believe it or not, up until the end of the war. It had been invented by this engineer by the name of Donald Bailey just before World War II, but its purpose wasn't really understood at the time. And it would take the rapid expansion of allied troops through Europe for people to notice this critical tool that helped end the war. The Allied forces ended the war in Europe not by partnering with an airplane manufacturer or a bomb maker, but a bridge builder. What a cool story. And just like the allied forces who needed to overcome obstacles to continue expanding across Europe, we as followers of Jesus are being called to partner with a bridge-building God to see his kingdom expand rapidly across the earth. And that is what I wanna to talk to you about today out of Acts chapter 10. God builds bridges, not over streams or rivers, but he builds bridges between people who are completely different from each other. We live in a culture right now that prefers to point out uh, how we are different and then tries to divide us along those lines. And uh, the enemy is constantly, like the German forces, trying to destroy bridges. But our God is a bridge-building God, and he is inviting us to join him 
in his work of bridge building. All throughout the book of Acts, actually, the Holy Spirit is at work to draw all people close to Jesus. And Peter has a can't-go-back moment here that we're going to read about where he recognizes just how true that is. uh, Similar to the, the British War Department, Peter recognizes the beauty and the necessity of God building bridges. He's bridging the gap between peoples that could not be more different. And he is seeing them become united in Jesus. And so Peter decides to jump in. And I believe today, church family, that the Holy Spirit is inviting you and inviting me to jump into this bridge building life as well. So today, uh, what I'd like to offer to us is five P's for joining a bridge-building God from this story in Acts 10. And I'm just going to give you these P's right off the bat if you want to write them down or put them in your phone, and then we'll jump into the text. And the P's are these, praying, paying, perceiving, proclaiming, and persevering. So let's get into the first one, praying. And this is about praying into the tension the Holy Spirit provides. Let's read the text. Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now, send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner, who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And then a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision was repeated three times, and then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven. As I said already, our first P is praying into the tension that the Holy Spirit provides. Here was Peter. He was staying at the home of Simon the Tanner, and it's ironic to me that he's saying, no, God, I can't let anything unclean touch my lips. I've never allowed that to happen according to our Jewish laws. But here he is staying with uh, Simon, who is a tanner, which means that he had animal carcasses all around his house that he would have used to uh, skin them and uh, prepare hides and, and make leather goods. He was in an unclean house, Peter. 
He was staying in an unclean house. And I can imagine there he is on the roof and he's hungry and they're saying, well, we'll prepare a meal for you. And I can imagine as Peter goes to prayer, perhaps there he is in the midst of his tension. He's in this awkward moment where he's with people who are very different from him, have very different customs from him, a different culture from him, are okay with things that he's not personally okay with and have a different perspective on life. And here he is in this tense moment and what's the first thing that Peter does? He goes to prayer. He goes to prayer. And this is the first thing that we have to do if we're partnering with a bridge building God is we have to go to prayer. We must seek God and lean into his presence and say, God, I'm in an awkward spot here. This is unclean for me or this is not something I'm used to. I need your wisdom to navigate this kind of situation. And God responds with this vision of the sheet. Now, I can only imagine as Peter's praying, he might be saying something like, God, please let them prepare some food that's clean and pure that I can eat and I don't have to go do some ritual cleansing thing because that would just be a real big pain for me. And as he's praying and maybe praying that the meal that they prepared for him would be good, down lowered in front of him is a bunch of unclean animals. Can you imagine Peter's shock and horror? But in the midst of tension, he prays and God gives an answer. Now, it's not the answer he would hope for. It leads him into further tension. And that's kind of the relationship that's important for us to understand between prayer and tension. And I'll get into a little more of that in a second. But I also want to point out Cornelius, who is also praying. Now, Cornelius is Roman. He's a Roman citizen, probably. He's a centurion, a soldier. He's a man's man. He is the definition in the Roman world of ancient success and power. He has people that can do his bidding. He doesn't go get Peter. He sends his people to go get Peter. He, though, is facing his own kind of tension and goes to prayer constantly to the God of Israel because he's on the outside of the nation of Israel looking in, hungering and desiring to be a part of this community that he is nothing like. Both are experiencing attention, Peter and Cornelius. Both require of them that they lean into God for answers, but both are given an answer that surprises them. The successful Roman must go and send people to receive Simon Peter, a Jew. Just the name Simon would have given away that he was a Jew. Who knows what Cornelius' reaction could have been. He wants to be like them. He wants to worship the God of Israel, but now a Jew is going to come to him that he's completely different than. We have to understand this about prayer. Prayer does not mean that we're going to have a nice, easy, warm feeling after we pray. Sometimes God meets us and there's a powerful moment of peace, but both of these men have powerful encounters in prayer and it doesn't lead them to a nice, lovely green pasture where they had a warm feeling and lived happily ever after. Their prayer led them into increasing bridge building type tension. They were going to have to step into more uncomfortable territory that they did not think came with the job of following God, but clearly God had other ideas. And we need to be aware of this kind of tension, and we need to be okay with this kind of awkward tension in our own lives that God's
difference for us. When we begin to build bridges and bridge the gap between people who are different than us, between uh, different ethnicities or people who have a totally different socioeconomic uh, background than we do or a political ideology, whatever it is, we have to come to a place as we bridge build to these people where we become desperate and it's kind of awkward and uncomfortable and we need a word from God. But that word from God won't necessarily lead us away from tension. We have to recognize that prayer and expressing our deepest longings to God often leads us into deeper tension, but it is Holy Spirit provided tension that is good for us. We begin to understand bridge building with God only when we're willing to enter into desperate tension and seek him. Many of us want peace, we want unity, but we won't go to prayer and we don't necessarily love the answers God gives us that lead to more tension. But I think God today is asking, when you find yourself in a moment of tension, when you are provided by the Holy Spirit with an opportunity to share life with someone who's different from you and your prayers are answered maybe in a way you didn't expect, will you continue to pray into the tension? Will you prayerfully seek God's wisdom and thus join our bridge-building God in his work? Or will you step back in that moment because the tension isn't what you thought you were signing up for? So first, we must learn to be people who are praying into the tension that the Holy Spirit has provided as we are bridge building and joining our bridge building God. Second, we must be paying attention to whom the Holy Spirit provides. This follows closely from the first point, and we'll pick it up in verse 17 of chapter 10. Peter was very perplexed. What could this vision mean? Just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house, and standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs, and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come to me? And they said, We were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He is a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that he can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. And the next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. Peter's encounter with the sheet is particularly disturbing to him. In fact, he has to say no three times and the, the vision keeps repeating itself three times and Peter's not sure what to do. But then the Holy Spirit says, your visitors are here. And visions and answers to prayer and, and these concepts of, of unity or peace or whatever it is that God gives us are, are beautiful. And, and the idea of the sheet coming down and saying, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. It's a beautiful picture, but no answer to God is uh, any good without tangible action. 
It is always connected to tangible action. So no sooner does God give Peter a vision of this sheet with all these animals than the Holy Spirit says, hey, pay attention to who's downstairs. I've sent them. This is your next step in building bridges with people who are nothing like you. And now Peter has two choices in this moment. He could ignore what's happening. He could ignore what just happened in his prayer time and how he was compelled to move in this. Or he could pay attention to who the Holy Spirit had brought into his life. They became his guests. He invites them in. Look at this picture. A devout Jew, two Gentile slaves, who knows where they were from ethnically, a Roman soldier, and they were all staying at the home of a guy named Simon who tanned and worked with animal carcasses all day. This is like the original odd couple if you know that TV show. I won't ask how old you are if you know that TV show. But this is like the odd couple on steroids. This is, there's not a planet on which all of these people would be in the same room together. Not uh, even that, but not a planet on which they would share a meal together or stay overnight together or that one of them would be inviting them all to be his guests for the night. Except that Peter was paying attention to his bridge building God. Out of his prayer came the voice of the Spirit saying, go with them, don't hesitate. This is me on the move. Now, for us, we can easily go through our days and our weeks without interacting with anyone uh, that we don't wish to interact with. It's very easy for us. We get in our car, in our garage a lot, or our driveway, we drive to work, we drive home, we stop at our errands, and we only ever need to talk to people who it's absolutely necessary to talk to, like the barista at the Starbucks drive-thru. Totally necessary in this day and age. But when we follow Jesus and we listen to the Holy Spirit, we are going to have opportunities. These small windows, like visitors showing up at the door, or when you're standing in line at the checkout counter, where the Holy Spirit may be nudging you to pay attention to whom he has provided to you in a bridge-building moment. He's saying, psst, you've been praying for this. Here is where I need you to pay attention because I'm providing an opportunity for you to get into someone's life that you have never had anything in common with that are completely different from you? How many times do we let those opportunities go out of fear? Or worse, we let them go out of apathy. So our question here is, will you listen and pay attention to whom the Holy Spirit provides to share life with and to build bridges with God? It will require that we pay attention to our habits, pay attention to the places we frequent. And are we allowing space for the Holy Spirit to direct us to people and to places that are outside of our comfort zone, outside of people that we share history with or interests with or experiences with? And this will lead us to our third P. And that is when we partner with a bridge-building God We are perceiving people through the identity the Holy Spirit has provided. Verse 24, they arrived in Caesarea the following day, 
Cornelius was waiting for them and he had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered his home, Cornelius fell at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up, I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and went inside where many others were assembled. And Peter told them, you know it is against our laws for a Jewish man like me to enter a Gentile home like this or to associate with you. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. I want you to pause for just a moment and consider this. This is Peter we're talking about, the apostle. He spent three and a half years physically walking around with Jesus on earth. He had been empowered by the spirit. He'd led thousands of people to follow Jesus. And he's just figuring out that he shouldn't think of some people as clean and some people as unclean. Peter's perception about people who were different from him was way off base. He'd made assumptions and given Gentiles a false identity, unclean, impure. But he was now understanding and seeing and perceiving that the Holy Spirit was providing a different identity, a completely different way for him to see Gentiles, and that it was that they were the exact same as Peter. He says, I'm a human being just like you. Don't bow before me. Don't worship me. We're the same. Peter was now perceiving through the eyes of the Holy Spirit. And this is crucial, so crucial to us if we are joining a bridge-building God. We must see the image of God in people different from us. We must see that everyone is called and invited to be sons and daughters of the living God. Now, we don't use words like unclean or impure, but we do use other words and phrases to neglect the identity that the Holy Spirit gives other people. We might say things like, well, they have a past history, or they must have done something to deserve that, or we don't know the whole story. And these words and, and phrases, they actually desensitize us from seeing others as humans made in the image of God. And I fear, church, that these words and phrases, when often repeated, blind us from being able to perceive the identity that the Holy Spirit is providing to each and every human being. And it actually desensitizes us from what the Holy Spirit is doing. We actually become unable to see that our bridge-building God has made everyone in his image. And when we do this, we dehumanize others in our minds and in our hearts and eventually in our actions. How is your speech? What are you saying about people who are different from you? What are you thinking about people who are different from you? Who have we dehumanized through our speech like Peter? Listen, if Peter did it, we've probably done it. Who, though, are we being called to perceive differently? Who are we being called and invited to by Jesus to see that they're made in the image of God first and foremost? And when we see people as daughters and sons of God, when we perceive people through the identity the Holy Spirit provides. We are partnering with our bridge-building God. 
Now, before I can move on any further, I, I have to confess, uh, we're recording this, and uh, literally, I finished prepping this message and uh, had been going over it a little bit, and God set me up. He set me up. I found myself in a situation meeting someone for the first time, and within 30 seconds, I found out so much about their background, their beliefs, their experiences, and within 30 seconds, I knew that this person was nothing like me. And as the conversation continued, I realized that within seconds of them starting to share their thoughts and their beliefs and opinions on some, some different ideas, I realized that I had already created labels for them in my mind that were not the identity that Jesus had for them, honestly. And I found myself kind of feeling a little bit holier than thou, if I'm completely honest. And I had to stop and I had to check myself because I recognized that God was setting me up. And in that moment, he was saying, are you really serious about what you're about to preach on? And I had to repent in that moment and say, God, I am serious about this. I am serious about this. And I had to repent right then and there of the labels I had instantly put on this person that had nothing to do with them being a child of God. The questions and, and the doubts and the, my opinions about who they were and what they were all about that had nothing to do with them being a child of God. And you know what? It changed for me the rest of our interaction together. It was incredible. And instead of being someone who was tearing bridges down, I found myself partnering with a bridge-building God because I was seeing this person exactly how Jesus sees them. And that will lead us always to the fourth P in partnering with a bridge-building God, and that is proclaiming the gospel the Holy Spirit provides. Verse 34, then Peter replied, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we apostles are witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. And then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, the living and the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. And even as Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. And then Peter asked, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they have received the Holy Spirit just as we did? So he gave orders for them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter proclaims the gospel. 
And it is a bridge-building God gospel. It is a gospel of God becoming human. That's the ultimate chasm crossing. God becoming human and living among us. And that through him, he has established something totally new that invites all humanity to be drawn to him. You see, at the center of bridge building is the gospel. At the center of bridge building is the gospel because the gospel is about Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament stories. All of those stories that we've been hearing about all summer, this is about Jesus fulfilling every single one that he would save people from their sins and draw every people and nation and ethnicity and culture to himself. And Peter is realizing that this isn't just about saving Israel. It is about the whole world being drawn together in Jesus. Now, I love our church because at our core, more than anything else, we want Jesus and we want his gospel to be lived out no matter what. I've been on staff here for almost a year and I'm convinced of that for sure. That's one of the things I love about all of you. And that's why we talk so much here about gospel fluency because we need to know and live in and breathe and eat and sleep this gospel story of Jesus and that he is drawing all people to himself. It's a whole way of thinking about the world and living. But often the gospel gets confused in a lot of churches and it's, uh, it gets confused as simply this message of being saved and going to heaven. Now, being saved from our sins is huge, and it is part of the gospel. Nothing else can happen until that happens. But we must recognize that the gospel message that Peter preaches included so much more. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in the ancient city of Ephesus in in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, and he says this. He says, For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news, that's the gospel, good news is gospel. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. That is beautiful. I love that passage. The church, though, has often failed to recognize the fullness of the gospel and what Jesus has done. That he has brought in himself, in his death and resurrection, it wasn't just about getting us to heaven. It was about bringing divided people together. 
But when we forget that, we become paralyzed in our ability to be bridge builders because we think that that stuff is sort of like an add-on to the gospel message or what Jesus has done. Or we think we're just supposed to love people and reach out because that's what Jesus did. Then that's true and we need to love our neighbor. But in actuality, the gospel is about building bridges and gathering all people to Jesus. We are not bridge building people. We can't be bridge building people if we're not gospel people. That's of first importance. There are so many people right now who would love to attempt bridge building and drawing people in unity together, but they have a brand of unity and justice that they want to see take place that is nothing but human justice and ultimately falls short. Peter, in his gospel presentation that we just read, he he says himself that Jesus will be the judge of the living and the dead. It is only in Jesus that justice and true bridge building can flourish. Only in Jesus can the two groups, those divided by hostility, become one. So we are not bridge building people if we are not gospel people. That is true. But equally, we are not gospel people if we are not bridge building people. This isn't an add-on to the gospel message. It is central to what Jesus came to accomplish, to destroy the dividing wall of hostility, that he desires all to be drawn to himself. And as we learn to partner with our bridge-building God, we must proclaim this gospel that the Holy Spirit has provided. It's not a gospel that just makes sure people are safe for eternity, but it is also a gospel that is drawing people together in the here and now. And we, church, have an active role in making that happen. Whatever your life is, whatever your context is in, as you're praying into these kinds of tensions, as you're paying attention to the kinds of people that are different from you that the Holy Spirit's providing. As you are learning to perceive people as the image of God and not putting other labels on them, it will ultimately lead you to be a gospel proclaimer to people who are nothing like you and you will celebrate the opportunity to draw them into the arms of Jesus alongside of you. And that is a beautiful, beautiful gospel to be a part of. And that will ultimately bring us to our fifth as we partner with a bridge-building God. And it is this, it is persevering in the empowerment the Holy Spirit provides. Persevering in the empowerment the Holy Spirit provides. It can seem like such a throwaway line, but the chapter ends with these words. Afterward, Cornelius asked him, that is Peter, to stay with them for several days. That's the last line of the story. They shared life together. They built relationships. They told stories. Peter learned about Gentiles close up for probably the first time in his life. He learned what their life experiences were like, their hopes, their dreams, their fears, the challenges they faced that are unique to Gentiles. Cornelius and his family learned about the life of the Jews from a Jewish man and not from news of riots and rebellions coming from Jerusalem. And more importantly, they learned the way of Jesus more fully together and the love of God that was on display through each of them. I love this from uh, theologian Willie James Jennings in his commentary on Acts. He, He says this about this passage. He says, this is what God wants. 
Jews with Gentiles, Gentiles wanting to be with Jews, and together they eat and live in peace. This is surely not heaven on earth. It is simply a brief time before the chaos and questioning descend on Peter and the other disciples who will follow the Spirit, before the returning to the old regime, and before the lust for the normal returns. As we begin to partner with our bridge-building God, there will be moments that feel like we've arrived, just like Peter and Cornelius. But the reality is we have not yet arrived in Jesus' new creation. Jesus has not returned yet. We will always face the temptation to return, to go back to our old ways, to isolate ourselves within the confines of community whose background stories and experiences are similar to ours. But when we join a bridge-building God, we learn to persevere in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and he provides us with the one thing we need, empowerment to never go back. Peter would shortly after this, though, be challenged by other Jews. They would question where his loyalties lied because of what he'd done and who he was associating with. They would wonder if his theology was off base and if he'd lost his way. And in fear, Peter would retreat from joining God in building bridges. And it would actually take another one of the apostles, the apostle Paul, to call Peter out and remind him that God was drawing all people to himself. See, when we start joining God in bridge building, there will be moments where we're forced to reckon with the intimate life sharing that we've started to enter into. There will be moments where we really have to wrestle with what it is we're doing here. And we will be questioned about where our loyalties lie. And even sometimes we will be questioned by other Christians. There may even come moments where we have to acknowledge our own imperfections when it comes to bridge building. While God is perfect at bridge building, we are not. We are not. And we will have to recognize moments where the bridges we have built between groups of people have failed. And we will need to be honest about how we have failed those who are different from us. But in all of this, please hear me, it isn't about guilt or shame. Even when Paul called out Peter, it was never about criticizing. But it is about us more fully joining our God in his redemptive work of drawing all people to himself. This kind of work requires endurance and perseverance that only the Holy Spirit can provide us. This is not simple work. It is beautifully rigorous and holy Work, And it is only the Holy Spirit who can empower us to continue to press into the uncomfortable nature of these relationships with courage. It is only the Holy Spirit who can correct us when we have made mistakes in our bridge building work with God. And it is only the Holy Spirit who can gather us together into shared life with those who we never thought we could share life with. And when we're joining our bridge-building God, we are praying into tension, 
paying attention to the people around us, perceiving people's identity, proclaiming the gospel, uh, persevering in the empowerment. And all of these are done because it has been provided to us by the Holy Spirit. What I love about Acts more than anything is the Holy Spirit is the central figure of each story. It isn't about the heroic women or men you read about. They obey and walk and trust, but rather it is truly a story about God, a God who desires to draw us all to himself. Again, uh, the theologian Willie James Jennings says, all those who would worship Jesus may enter now in a new vision of intimate space and a new time that will open up endless new possibilities of life with others. We have no idea the adventure and the beauty of bridge building that God has ahead of us. To begin to not just build bridges, but then the bridges allow us to share life with people who are completely different from us. Who do you feel like is being drawn into an embrace with God and you find yourself coming close in that embrace and it's making you uncomfortable? Who is it that God is calling you into these endless new possibilities of life with others? How is the Holy Spirit wanting to take you on the adventure of your lifetime to live in courage, to live in the boldness of the way of Jesus, to be a bridge builder to others? The enemy is always going to be tearing bridges down. The enemy is always seeking to slow the advance of the kingdom by burning bridges. But we have a weapon. We have a bridge-building God. We have the bridge-building Holy Spirit who wants to work and partner with us. And as we partner with him, we find a beautiful new way of life has opened up before us. I just want to close with this story. Uh, when I come home, sometimes in the evening, we'll kind of all be in the kitchen uh, getting dinner ready, my wife Jillian and I and Harper. And sometimes Harper will be there and she'll want to help. Sometimes she'll run off into her room to go play or go get a toy or something. Usually in those moments, I just take a minute and give Jill a hug or an embrace or a kiss and, and just say, hey, because sometimes it's the first moment we've really had a, a moment alone together all day. And usually what will happen inevitably is we're in that embrace and Harper will come running back into the room and, you know, she wants attention, of course. And so she'll, she'll say up or no or she'll try and pull one of us away and sometimes what we'll do is we'll actually pick her up and we'll put her in between us and we have a little Harper sandwich. I know it sounds corny, but if you had kids, I know you did it. Don't even try and act like you didn't do it. But we have a Harper sandwich right there and we squeeze her between us and we both kiss her and we say, I love you, Harper, and, and we're all together. And usually it lasts for about half a second. And then she's usually pushing one of us away. No, no, no. And she wants one of us to, the other one of us to come with her into her room to play with whatever she's discovered. And instead of enjoying the embrace and being comfortable with everyone being embraced close together, she generally is pushing one of us away in that moment to be close to the other. Without realizing it, sometimes I, I think that we do this with others and with God. I think we do what my daughter Harper does. When we would prefer to not build bridges and to share life only with those who are the same as us, 
I think we forget that since we are all being drawn into the embrace of our Father, we don't realize that we're not just pushing other people away when we don't want to bridge build. We are actually pushing the embrace of our Father away because he's not going to stop embracing. He's not going to stop reaching out. And we don't realize, but when we push those away that we find being drawn near us, we are actually pushing away God. And, and we feel like a lot, like we like the idea of finding our identity in Christ, but it's a whole lot harder to accept that not only are we in Christ, but there's a whole lot of other people, people that are in Christ with us that are nothing like we are. And we kind of think like, you know, can I be in Christ over here and you can be in Christ over there? That's not how it works. And even as the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2 that we read earlier, Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has made the two one. We're in Christ now. The family's being drawn together in the arms of Jesus. And a beautiful new world is truly opening up up before us as we partner with our bridge building God. And my question to you, church family, as we close the series, as we choose truly to never go back to being those who are like the enemy, destroying bridges and slowing the advance of the kingdom, do you want this life to be partnering with the bridge builder? Do you want to jump in courageously and boldly with the power of the spirit to join our bridge building God? to not go back to our old way of doing life with those who we are simply more comfortable with. I believe this is a bold challenge to us as a church, but here's what I believe. I truly believe we've cried out for revival and we pray for revival, and I believe revival is going to ride in on the wings of a bridge-building God. Revival is about to ride in on a unified church that is so open to being gathered into the arms of Jesus with those who are also in Christ. So will you join me? Will you bridge build with me? Will you join our bridge building God more importantly? We're going to enter into a time of worship and then we'll close in prayer. Jesus, I am painfully aware as I shared this message today that this is no easy assignment. It will constantly require wrestling. But more importantly, it will constantly require your empowerment. And it will constantly require a dependence on you. And so, Jesus, I ask that none of us, we as a church family, would not settle for a, a form of following you that allows us to do it in our own strength, God. Jesus, would you make us bridge builders like you? Would you teach us to see things like you see them? Would you empower us to follow you into the places and to the people that we never thought possible. And I just bless every man, woman, 
child, anyone watching this, our, our guests that are just checking us out for the first time, I bless everyone watching this, Jesus, that they would be overcome by your love for them and that they would see that love pour out to everyone they could possibly imagine and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us online today. It's been great to be with you, and we will see you soon. Grace and peace.